This podcast is presented by SoCalREN, the Southern California Regional Energy Network. We're a collection of local governments that come together to promote energy efficiency programs for residents, businesses, and public agencies. Welcome to Re-Energizing Communities, your connection to conversations about energy efficiency that can help you influence change at home, at work, and in your community. Thanks so much for joining us. In today's episode, our host, Julie Castro, welcomes Ben Stapleton, Executive Director for U.S. Green Building Council Los Angeles, or USGBCLA. They discuss ways to create a more sustainable future for Southern California, starting with L.A. schools and businesses. Let's listen in. Welcome, Ben, and thank you so much for joining us today. Some of our listeners may be familiar with the national USGBC, which created the most widely used green building rating system in the world, Leadership in Energy and Environmental Design, or LEAD for short. Can you give our listeners some background on yourself and what the U.S. Green Building Council of Los Angeles, or USGBCLA, does? We're the U.S. Green Building Council of Los Angeles. We're an independent nonprofit, so while we're affiliated on some level with the Green Building Council that runs the LEED credential and certification that you may know and love. We are completely independent financially and we have an independent board. Our, our mission is different. We're really focused on leveraging the built environment as an entry point to transform Southern California into a more sustainable region for all. We're the largest green building chapter in the country. We cover LA County, San Bernardino County, Riverside County, the Ventura County, and Orange County over the past couple of years. And most of our work is focused on direct community engagement and education. We're really trying to be innovative as an organization and fill gaps in the market where needed and be collaborative and engage, but really accelerate what is happening to our built environment to really help fight climate change. I mean, we have, you know, this is a critical decade in our fight against climate change and we really need to make things happen faster if we're gonna transform the market to make these changes long-term. What do you see as the role you and USGBCLA can play in helping transform the market locally? I've been here as executive director now for about three years. I felt like there was an opportunity to come in and really unify the green building movement here in the Southern California region, create a new portfolio of programs that could directly engage with folks using buildings as an entry point. And that's one of the things I love about buildings is, is that they touch everything, right? If you want to talk about issues around energy, it goes through a building somewhere. If we want to deal with circular economy and waste, those are going through buildings. If we want to tackle mobility, that's people moving between buildings. Even infrastructure is a built environment of some kind. So I'm really a sustainability generalist, but it allows me to sort of dive into these different areas and can be innovative and, and create programs that can fill gaps and, and create impacts. I'm very much a people first kind of person and, and believe in magic that can happen when you make those connections and create a platform that allows that to happen organically. And that's what I've been trying to build here in many ways is these ways for people to come in and make connections and, and drive forward so that we're greater than a sum of our parts. Can you tell us about the programs and initiatives that USGBCLA is currently running? We've spent a lot of time over the past few years really coming up with concepts around programs that we felt could solve problems and then working hard to try to bring in the funding to, to make them happen. You know, maybe I'll start on the innovation side. So 
I really thought there was an opportunity to build a community here in, in LA that was focused on innovation and buildings for positive change. And so one of the first programs I started when I got here was an accelerator for companies in the built environment. Companies in, that, that have solutions and technology for buildings I struggle to tell attractive stories about that technology. You know, it's not easy to tell a fun, engaging story about a technology for buildings a lot of the time. So part of what we really focus on in the program is that storytelling, that branding. How do you connect the dots for customers? There was also so much great policy in California that's really leading the country in many ways where people who are operating and developing buildings are struggling to find cost-effective solutions to kind of meet that policy. And we're seeing that more as a, as a challenge and less as, a, as an opportunity. So that's really why we created the Accelerator. We went out and recruited. We now have over 40 advisors to the program. We have over 30 different pilot partners. Those advisors and pilot partners help us select the companies that we work with every year. We've had about 50 companies in the program over the past three years. And we really focus on pilots and storytelling. Uh, we do a lot of other things along the way, including you know working on business fundamentals and, and looking at you know business development. And we help the company structure pilots. And pilots are meant to be sort of like bite-sized morsels of something that can scale, uh, less about proving something out. That's one program that's really kind of addressing innovation. And I think trying to, to bring that into the region. You know, one of the other programs that I'm really proud of right now is our green affordable housing program. We developed a structure where we wanted to go in and really try to engage multifamily buildings holistically. You see a lot of programs that talk about efficiency and try to work with owners and managers. There's not much that addresses tenants. The big challenge is the education component of all this. People just don't know what to do or, or how to do it, and it's overwhelming. We've developed tenant education in English and Spanish for tenants in, in low-income housing and communities here throughout LA. We also have built out some tools for owners and managers that includes an interactive pathway where they can really look at, if I just want to be an efficient building, here's the different pieces I can address. And this is roughly the savings that should be. If I want to be electric forward and start dipping in my toe into the future of buildings, what does that look like? And then we have the all electric that's fully decarbonized this building and see what that looks like. So we've built that out. And then we're offering direct support and engagement and resources. We're focused on the Eastern San Fernando Valley right now. That's where we've gotten funding, but we're providing free EV charging, providing heat pump technology through the Quick Start program here in the state. We also won a grant recently to integrate indoor air quality sensors and on-site water testing into those buildings. And then we're working with companies out of our accelerator. We've actually rolled out two pilots already focused on personal greenhouse gas emissions calculations for tenants so they can make decisions on, on how to be more efficient. And then a system where landlords can actually look up their building and get information on the emissions and ways to, to reduce those based on the year it was built and you know, solar radiance. Can you expand about how having a strategy that focuses on both the tenants and the owners and managers can address that disconnect about the ownership and the usage of equipment? That's a structural issue in how our buildings work right now from a, from a leasing perspective. We have these mixed incentives and it's, and it's a big challenge. So we're really trying to lead with occupant health first on the education for tenants. So. We start from a place of what impacts you and your environment and get into air quality and natural light and how these impact you know sick days and, and productivity and talk about materials and segue that into the efficiency conversation and how improving your environment can also have these other impacts and reducing your monthly bill. There's going to continue to be areas where there's challenges. You're not going to get a, a tenant in an apartment building to pay for a new induction cooktop. It doesn't make financial sense, but you can have 
this education with them where they can address the things that they can address and start working through that. The water component is a really big part of this. We've gotten a lot of feedback from owners and managers. They really are excited about this kind of education because right now they pay for water for the most part in our region and tenants have no motivation to reduce their water use, but we're clearly in beyond a historic drought at this point where we really need to reduce our water use and costs are going to go up because they have to. And so landlords are excited about that opportunity to have that education. And I think part of this is getting people really on the same page. That's kind of on the tenant side. On the, on the owner side, really looking at long-term costs for these buildings, providing the education about this is where code is going. This is where policy is going. You're going to have to do this stuff anyway. But you can either try to control your destiny a little bit now or be forced to do it later. And if you can do this in a way where you're collaborating with your tenants, you're sharing knowledge with them, you're providing these workshops and you're sh showing them that, hey, we're trying to work on this building to make it better for you and for us long term. I, I think that creates, again, that community connection and value. Does it address the structural issues of who pays for what? No, you know, we have to find other ways to do that. But I think it really creates getting everyone on the same bus and in the right seats so that things can happen faster and easier. In addition to multifamily buildings, you're also doing work in schools. Can you tell us about your Green Schools initiative? This is actually our 20th anniversary this year uh, as an organization. We've had a, what we call a Green Apple Day of Service for years where we We'll have a volunteer day and we'll go in and do projects at schools. We usually will source those through an RFP. And in the last couple of years, we started making that like a microfinance kind of thing where we would have an RFP, we'd put in $500 and we'd organize our volunteers and members to come out and do some projects. And we've done a lot of interesting projects over the years, gardens, energy audits, drinking fountain replacements. We won a grant right before the pandemic to do a holistic approach with schools, very similar to what I was just saying around buildings where we were going to do education for students, teachers, and staff, and parents around sustainability fundamentals and climate change. And then we were also going to put the janitorial staff at the schools through our Green Janitors Education Program and then measure impacts of that. And, and the way the grant was written, uh, we were only going to do three schools. Pandemic hit, schools had a lot bigger issues to deal with than us, and it was just very clear we were not going to be able to execute that on, on a few schools. So we pivoted that and developed this sustainability fundamentals education. We recruited over 20 volunteers from our member base to provide the education. So we want kids to see these are real people whose jobs are connected and working in sustainability. And we ask them to talk about how they got there as part of the presentation. And we have this in English and Spanish. We actually have over 10 presenters who can present in Spanish as well, which we were excited about. We had over a thousand kids go through these workshops last year and the feedback was amazing. Realistically, in our, our low-income communities, our disadvantaged communities locally, the, the conversations aren't happening around climate change in the same way maybe they're happening in more of our affluent communities. Why is it important to talk about sustainability issues and climate change as well as their potential solutions in schools? With climate change, as human beings, it's such a hard thing for us to embrace anyway because it's so massive. We can't comprehend how the world is changing around us in these big ways. And so we tend to just disengage from it. And I think it's important early on with these kids to kind of talk about, well, these are the things that are impacting the climate. And so we talk about what contributes to CO2, the environment, and how these changes are can become longer lasting. We talk about, you know, the biophilia and, and 
we kind of go through these things that, that impact the environment. And then we talk about energy, water, and waste, and, and renewables. And these workshops are 90 minutes. We usually do them in two 45-minute chunks. And it just kind of turned, meant to turn on the light bulb. It's meant to be the tip of the spear. And we provide a bunch of follow-on resources. And then this year, I was excited. We want a grant to add in hands-on projects to the presentations. So we now are going to be providing 750 kits this year to kids where they can actually work on a project that's design-based and uses you know, either recycled materials or renewables as part of it. If we can plant that seed earlier on and plant the seed that, these, that people can have jobs doing this work and that this is something very tangible, I think that changes that, that conversation as these kids get older. And they're so excited to learn and engage in these conversations. Um, it's pretty amazing. Have you seen students become stewards of this education and bring that impact back home and to their own communities? Some of the projects that we've created are actually for them to go back into their communities. One of the projects we're working on is we, we want to have them go into their communities and look at shading and notice how shading changes temperature. And so that's just an example of being aware of, oh, this is why trees are valuable. This is why curtains are valuable, right, in reducing heat loads. In terms of day-to-day operations at schools, janitors play a critical role in sustainability from waste reduction to cleaning products to energy use. USGBCLA has a program to help janitors drive sustainability at their own schools. What does this program look like? We run a green janitors education program where we've had about 1,500 janitors graduate from that. That's really been just a phenomenal program. We, We go in and really empower the janitors that they're the ones who decide if the buildings are green or not. We give them the context so that instead of them being told they have to do X or Y, it's, hey, this is important for this reason. This is important for that reason. And it's a 30-hour class. They do it on their lunch breaks. And we, we teach it with a partner that does education work through the janitor's union, SEIU. We've documented a 5% savings in the buildings that have gone through the program. Operationally, we've heard back from them that they get their kids to start doing recycling programs. They change out the chemicals they use at home. And this is something that's so mind-blowing. We might be forcing janitors to use green cleaning products and lead buildings, but they have no context. They're still using cleaning products at home that can cause you know, air quality issues. If you're gonna learn something, it's gonna change your behavior as long as you're thinking about it and you have tools at your disposal to do that. So that's why I think education is so important, why we try to integrate that into you know, sort of everything we do. Zooming out from education now, you mentioned that you see USGBCLA as a connector in the community. In what ways do you bring people together? At the end of the day, we're really trying to provide an ecosystem you know, for, for people to come in, whether they're in a business or whether they're in a multifamily building or whether they're a young professional, there's all these opportunities to plug in and in. We have committees too that are groups of professionals that are working on different issues. So we have a building decarb committee, we have a construction committee, we have a Women in Green Committee. We have an Emerging Professionals Committee. We're actually launching a Green Homes Committee. We're really trying to provide this platform where people can come together and grow themselves on their own journey, but also do good work and meet good people along the way. And I think there's so much fear and sort of like negativity and depression around climate change and what's happening in us as a society and what's happening in the world. And, and you know, all that is sort of well-founded, but human species is in a better place than we've probably ever been in history in terms of our quality of life and control over 
diseases and access to food and all these kinds of things. And part of being human is struggle. That's just the reality for our generations that came before us. It was getting food on the table and having a place to live. And it's still a struggle for many people. I don't want to minimize that. The struggle of, of our time is climate change. And that's not going to be solved in five years or 10 years. We need to build relationships. We need to celebrate our successes because it's, that's how we stay in it for the long haul. And that's how we win the long game. So for people who are trying to get into the sustainability space and as a career, when the pandemic hit, we started getting 15 volunteer applications a week. So we created a program called the Green Building Corps, where we bring in about 15 people every six months and they do work across all of our projects. They support our committees. We offer them up as a resource to help support community projects. And then architectural engineering construction firms and others can hire them on an hourly basis through us to support their projects so they can get experience. And we've seen a ton of them get placed in long-term jobs with people who are active members of our community. And, and, you know, that's just been such a great experience to be part of that program and build those relationships. And this isn't just people in college or out of college. We've got mid-career professionals. They're now on their own journey where they now have their job and their career because of that experience. And because of those connections, you know, we do 100% mentor-mentee matchmaking. And I think that's really key. You know, in terms of businesses, as well as community members that might not have connected with USGBCLA yet, what do you recommend for them getting their foot in the door? A lot of times we'll meet with companies who are just trying to figure out like, hey, we, we need to integrate sustainability into what we do. We're a nonprofit that's here to help with that, right? You can come in and give recommendations. We actually are um, a contractor with the City of LA's green business program. And so we can help certify businesses to be green. We also run a program called the LA Sustainability Executives Roundtable or, or LASER. It is basically the, the heads of sustainability for the largest companies in the LA region. And we curate programming. We help develop resources for them. The goal is that they can learn from each other. And the conversations there are amazing. Yeah, there's a lot of ways businesses can engage with us. I mean, we can get involved as a sponsor and get branding benefits. We have almost 200 events a year. We're actually working on our annual report right now. We had 15,000 attendees across our events last year, which is wow. pretty awesome. What has been one of your most memorable projects or initiatives as executive director of USGBCLA to date? We do a thing every year called our, a legacy project where we run an RFP, we put $20,000 into a local community project, and then our members and volunteers help make it happen. And that could be as much as helping to do the designs to actually putting shovels in the ground and doing physical work. So it goes the whole, the whole gamut. Our project in 2020 was pretty amazing. There's a church in West Adams called the McCarty Memorial Church. And the project they proposed was doing a rooftop aeroponic garden where formerly incarcerated individuals would come together to learn how to grow plants and share with each other about reentry and their challenges. The program was put together by Tobias Tubbs who had been convicted of murder, essentially, and manslaughter when he was younger. He spent his time in prison. He got into gardening and started putting together gardens and prisons and bringing other inmates in. And, and that ended up being a salvation for him and for them to be on that journey together. And, and when I met Tobias, who had been pardoned by Governor Brown, he'd only been out of prison maybe six months or so. And but we really came together and I really believe in their project and that vision of bringing sustainability and nature into an, an old environment. The Cardinal Memorial Church is over 100 years old. They're using aeroponics and 
systems to help grow these plants, teaching people how to use those, but also focusing on their journey and their connections. It's just a beautiful project. And we were working on this project in 2020 and getting permits from the city was just so challenging. And, and But it come together and they put together some really great content for the formerly incarcerated and series of videos. Also did a, a native plant medicinal garden on the ground floor of the church. Tobias pulled me aside one day and, and Tobias is the kind of, you can't meet this person without it sort of shaking you. He's like one of those people who just connects very deeply with you as a person and, and is very focused. We had him do spoken word to open up our biggest conference of the year every year last year. He said to me, I had never actually worked with a white person before. I never had had a relationship with a white person before where it wasn't confrontational. And I didn't actually think that was possible until I worked with you on this project. And that that shook me in a big way. To have someone else tell you that as a person that you respect and kind of know their journey has been super challenging, but you don't know the details. I will never forget that experience. As you look for your next legacy project, is there any way that you can incorporate this experience and those lessons learned to try to make sure that providing these types of opportunities for all communities would be incorporated into the next one? It's part of the intent of the Legacy Project. That's the sustainability sector. Environmental justice is really at the heart of what we do. I mean, this is about stopping ourselves from creating a society that is more of the haves and the have-nots, and, and those that have are better prepared for climate change, and those that have not are not. That's really what we're fighting here in some way. Here in 2021, we worked on a resilience hub in Boyle Heights, and we've actually won some grant funding are doing deeper work this year where we're putting in solar battery storage on site. We won funding to, to put in some indoor air quality sensors and outdoor air quality sensor, emergency charging, water storage and filtration. And so we're, we're trying to build a model. We're working with Climate Resolve as a partner on this that can scale here in the future for resilience hubs in the city. And we're doing that in Boyle Heights, which is a community of color that's, you know, experiences an incredibly high number of heat days and air pollution from being surrounded by freeways. In 2022, we just selected our legacy project and it's a garden in Watts that's going to be built with native plants and spaces for calm and healing for those who've been impacted by trauma. These are just small projects. How are we moving the needle? But the needle gets moved by like thousands of these small projects. All these are important. We just need to do more of them and we need to create more of those natural connections. I think that's the thing we really, really need to work on as an industry. And this even comes back to the work that Tokal Ren does around energy efficiency. Now, it, like the challenge for us is it's really all about communicating and to be willing to put in the time and resources to make the changes. And we have the resources, we have the tools, we know how to do it. How do we get people to actually engage and take action? That's really the hard part. What's the best advice that you would have for someone listening that is interested in your job or the sustainability industry as a whole. I feel very grateful to, to do the work I'm able to do here. And but we, you know, we meet with so many young people who are in our Green Building Corps, others, and there's all this pressure to like, you have to figure out like what it is you're doing early on. And, and the reality is no one knows what they're doing. It's how do you set yourself up so that when you do know, you're in a position to be credible and to have skill sets that are valuable the key thing, I think, is figuring out your three to five year plan. It may not be about the job you have now. It could be about the job you have several years from now or how you get into a company where you can then transition over to a different kind of job because now you're in that company that's doing that kind of work. Volunteering is really important. I mean, I, I look at our committees, our legacy project, that's a 
member committee, anyone can join the committee to work on that project and have that experience of building out a garden to help people who are dealing with trauma and watts. These are open opportunities for people. Our USGBCLA community is so strong and I love this green building community because it's one of the best business communities I've ever come across. Green building people are just nice people. They'll compete with each other on a project and then turn around and show someone exactly what they did because the, the competition is how do we build better to shift where we're going in the future. The competition isn't me trying to beat you out on a project. It's there to a certain extent, but there's more a little more of this kind of sharing mindset. So I would encourage people just to find ways to get involved, to grow themselves, whether that's through training we offer or a webinar or whatever, just, you know, as long as you're thinking and engaging and making yourself better, you're going to find the opportunities to do what you want to do. Where do you see USGBCLA in the next five years? And what goals are set in place for the upcoming years? We recently redid our strategic plan and really did that with environmental justice at the core of the work we do. We've quadrupled in revenue over the last two, three years. I see us doubling again or more in the next couple of years, and that's because there's so much work to do. I would like to see us continue to get deeper in addressing indoor air quality and low-income housing. That's such a big space to to do more work in where we need data that doesn't exist right now about what the conditions really are in those buildings. I'd like to see us develop some really good niche certifications. We're also building out a certification right now for contractors and landscapers around wildfire defense. We, you know, we're going to teach them about materials and home hardening techniques, about how to use the right plants in the landscape and irrigate properly to reduce wildfire risk. And that's such a huge need because wildfires aren't going away. We need to create homes and environments that can withstand those and we need to create avenues for our professionals to learn. So I see us doing a lot more of that kind of niche training development and deeper dives on a technical level into these issues where we can create value. And I hope we continue to integrate our net zero accelerator companies into that and these startups that have solutions that can make an impact and can scale today. When I got here, there was only one other full-time person and half a contractor. And now we're, we're a team of 12, we'll be a team of 13 here soon. I see us in the next couple of years, hopefully being you know 20 or 30 people and doing more of this work. There's no shortage of good work to do, not a lot of time to get it done if we really want to see the, the positive impacts. Thank you so much for joining us today, Ben. It was great to hear your insight and to learn more about USGBCLA. Thank you. I'm, I'm excited to, to be here and I enjoy having these kinds of conversations. Remember that reducing your energy use today means securing a safer, more affordable and sustainable tomorrow. For more information on energy efficiency opportunities that can help you save energy and money, visit SoCalREN.org or call 877-785-2237.